Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Patrick Sullivan. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Security Strategy at Akamai. Patrick, good to have you with us. Uh, good to be here, Tom. And Akamai is one of the legacy internet services companies, really. And it might be useful to understand how you have evolved from simply this, the delivery network and all of that to the, the posture you have today in today's internet. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Akamai, you know, went public in the, the late 90s, right at the peak of the, the dot-com boom. You know, I think the, the first uh, thing that Akamai is known for is speeding up websites, right? So in those early days, you know, we built out uh, a network of reverse proxies all over the internet. So we're in 4,200 locations, more than a thousand ISPs. Uh, and we really got started, you know, speeding up the delivery of websites by having that proxy uh, very, very close to end users. Uh, and I think that what we found over the years uh, was that, that that's really a sort of an optimal uh, platform upon which to build security, right? So we talk about edge security or SASE, uh, but I think we we sort of found our way into this because as a reverse proxy, when our customers were attacked, obviously we were taking that hit first. Uh, so for us, early days was was around mitigating uh, DDoS attacks. You know, and we saw some really uh, spectacular DDoS uh, attacks targeting uh, the U.S. federal government. And, and sort of what we found was the sites that were on Akamai stayed up, and those that were not, uh, unfortunately, had a rough time. Uh, so we had a unique capability. And then over the years, we've expanded. Um, you know, to to sort of be the leader in uh, web app and API protection, uh, we've we've been a big player in uh, zero trust access, and then you know continue to expand uh, the security offerings. So you know, roughly Q1 of next year, we anticipate that security will be our largest line of business, overtaking you know everything we do with with streaming and and speeding up websites. All right, so that's a good overview, and I think we want to get into the whole idea of cloud computing. This is where the federal government is clearly going, has gone to a great degree. And as they have, the way they approach it in terms of the technical makeup of applications and cloud services has really changed. We've moved from just simply hosting and using communications wires to get to the application hosted in the cloud, then the virtualization era. And now we're really into this whole segmentation containerization era. Uh, tell us what the trends are and and, and what needs to be done to secure those nowadays? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think we're we're certainly in the the era of of hybrid multi cloud. It, you know, I think most organizations are are strategically pushing into the cloud as much as they can. But but ultimately, I think what that looks like uh, in twenty twenty two is there's still some workloads that are going to be in a you know a, a legacy corporate data center or a colo, and and that may be legacy or that may be you know strategic there for the long term. And then obviously pushing into to cloud. Uh, I think over time, we find most organizations, even if they have a preferred partner, you end up with, with more than one uh, cloud provider. So you end up with that hybrid multi-cloud type of architecture. Um, and I think to your point around segmentation, you know, one of the shifts that we see is, you know, as you move into cloud, you have a couple of uh, kind of design architectures, right? You know, one that we saw in the early days was sort of the rack and stack, right, where, where you would... Uh, consider your cloud architecture, you know, by looking at what you did in, in your data center historically and just try to replicate the same thing. And if, if you had a box that performed a function, maybe you would buy a virtualized uh, analog to that in the cloud uh, 
environment. And then obviously the, the counter to rack and stack is more of a cloud native type of approach where you look at the unique capabilities of the cloud and, and kind of revisit some of those design assumptions and say, you know, we don't necessarily need to do it the way we always have. There, there may be some opportunities to, um, to, to get, to gain better um, advantages of this architecture. Uh, and I think segmentation is one of those areas. And just describe what it is and what effect it has on the perimeter because security is changing from that peri a perimeter model to, to defense in depth, which is giving way to zero trust, correct? Exactly. Yep. So, so you know, you still will have, you know, some, you know, uh, perimeter, you, you know, DMZ, whatever you would call that. But I guess the shift is rather than having sort of a, a soft GUI center uh, in that network behind that, uh, that DMZ with the assumption that uh, that perimeter will perfectly protect you and nobody will ever uh, compromise that perimeter. Uh, as you said, we, we now see the, the rise of sort of that zero trust architecture and, and really uh, where software-based segmentation fits into that is uh, hardening uh, that internal network. And, and we get all the way down to what we would call micro segmentation. So, you know, really what this gets into is, you know, if you're on a, uh, you know, a workload, what is the reachability, uh, you know, across uh, the, the network there, right? And, and we, we really try to get to that zero trust model where you restrict that only to the uh, the, the the paths that are required. Um, so, for example, you could have a uh, you know a database uh, workload that, that's running in a container or some other form factor, uh, and you could understand that it, you know really only the the Mongo process on that workload needs to contact you know a web server, and that may be the the extent of the communication that's required there. So you you restrict that. Um, in that case, really, really tightly, because often a database is crown jewels type of information. There may be other workloads that that are more permissive. You know, a load balancer would, would have more reachability, for example. But uh, you make those decisions in a very deliberate way based on uh, least privileged communication paths. Right. And so the motivation of the hackers is still either a database or data information that they want to get for whatever use they might think they have of it. And also sometimes to disrupt service on websites to stop applications like the old you know ddos type of thing flood them whatever and so how does the segmentation then affect the way you approach security with the understanding that it's still the web services or the data that the hackers are after yeah, exactly so, so you still need to protect that that front end right so if you have a web front end you know which when we look at the the data breach investigation report that's the most likely uh, area to be compromised. You still need to harden that for that uh, that perimeter communication. But then behind that, uh, you, you know, essentially with micro segmentation, you can restrict those communication paths. So even in the worst case scenario where uh, an attacker gains a foothold on on one workload, uh, maybe a works or a, a, a web server, for example, they're very very much limited into what they can do to to go forward. Uh, you know, I think what we see when you look at breaches. Uh, usually there are somewhere between two and five steps that attacker must complete to, to have a successful breach. Uh, so, so really the thought there is even if you have that first uh, compromise, segmentation would limit what an attacker can do going forward, make it much, much more difficult for them to, to get to their ultimate target. And so the security measures, where do they live then? Are they a cloud service? And how do you architect it such that wherever those containers, wherever those segments are operating in a multi-cloud hybrid environment, that you make sure that they are protected. Exactly. And I think that's the big shift with software-based segmentation. So traditionally, you know, in a 
Uh, a network segmentation would often be a task assigned to a firewall of some sort. So you bring traffic to a firewall, and then based on VLANs or some network-based concept, uh, there would be a decision of permit or allow. Uh, where the security exists in a software-based segmentation model is right there on the workload. So as you have a container, uh, when it spins up, part of the build process would be uh, an agent that uh, that's created. Uh, and then rather than having security policy based on network constructs like a VLAN, uh, the policy is based on cloud-native concepts like, like, you know, we would call it a tag. And you can have multiple tags. So that web server we spoke about would have a tag for its role being a web server, uh, its environment potentially being production, uh, and then several other tags would be uh, possible, including dynamic tags such as uh, things that we can query that that workload to understand: is it vulnerable to the the SSL, uh, you know, v3 risk that was socialized earlier this week? Is it running Solar Winds? You know, in which case we have to, you know, potentially implement some policy there. Uh, so all of those type of things can be considered because you are shifting that east-west. Uh, inspection from a firewall down to the workload, we have a much deeper understanding of the process that's uh, that's making the request across that corporate network. So in effect, each service carries its own security with it, you might say. That's correct. Yep. The, 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 the security decisioning would be made right there on the workload, sort of in its own host-based uh, firewall model. And you mentioned dynamic tags. Are there also static tags or permanent tags that, that stay around? Absolutely. So, so things like the uh, the role or, or the environment. You know, if it's a web server, that's a uh, that's a tag that would persist. If it's a uh, production environment, that's a tag that would also persist. So there there are some of these things that you would want to do programmatically. Other things that you would assign uh, on a manual basis. And I'm presuming each tag and each measure that's spun up and then maybe put aside when the application might wind down for the night. That's not something that's done by hand by an operator at a console, is it? Exactly. Uh, you're exactly right. So, so I think that's that's one of the things, you know, if you move to that cloud native uh, environment or if you have container orchestration, you're going to have containers that are uh, being created, being destroyed. Uh, and and the, the nice part here is you don't have to go bring them into a particular VLAN or, or assign a network policy wherever they spin up. Uh, you know, that policy could be inherited uh, as the as part of that build process. And as containers communicate with one another to create application services, because you're really combining these microservices into creating something tangible that uh, fulfills the mission, the APIs become a point of security concern. T tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think you know, on that uh, you know, business to consumer perimeter, you know, we're we have a very unique unique insight into global traffic. We see about five billion. Uh, HTTPS hits uh, per minute, 90 something percentage of those uh, hits are APIs these days. We, you know, we certainly live in an API world uh, and APIs carry all of the risk that you would see with uh, you know, a traditional GUI uh, web uh, exposure. Uh, so there's always the, the risk of DDoS, uh, as you said, and we're certainly seeing more um, state affiliated DDoS this year due to geopolitical tensions. Uh, you have the risk of sort of the, the OWASP you know, type of attacks, uh, command injection, or, um, you know, other imperfections or vulnerabilities in the code that somebody wants to exploit on that uh, customer-facing uh, exposure there for the application. But then APIs have their own attack surface, right? So there's a whole different um, 
you know, the OWASP, the, the, the list of top 10 vulnerabilities is slightly different for an API than it would be for a, a web attack surface. And I think a lot of that is just due to the, the more direct exposure of business logic uh, that you see with those APIs, right? So some of the things you have to keep in mind there are um, you know, the number one mistake that, that people tend to make is just failure to authenticate. We're seeing a lot of these uh, APIs, as you said, with microservices can be spun up very, very quickly. Uh, and often there's a lack of visibility uh, within the security team to the existence of those APIs. And if you're not careful, you could be exposing sensitive information. That's sort of the most common scenario we see with APIs that uh, they were built uh, and exposing a, a, you know, a bit of business logic that uh, that really should be kept internal. Uh, and, you know, an attacker gets a hold of that uh, and they don't have to work very hard. Right. If they find that uh, in some cases, it's trivial to, to pull the information down. So then with respect to security, you don't have operators pushing buttons and looking at blinking lights so much anymore. What is the administrative task then? How does the cybersecurity staff your security operations center or your NOC staff, how does their life change in this new model of the way, let's say, administering cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the key, as you said, there's sort of this explosion of microservices, right? You you empower your developers in a uh, sort of an API-based architecture, and they can uh, create these APIs very, very quickly. So I would say the the, the primary challenge for the, the security team is visibility, you know, understanding where all of those APIs uh, exist. Uh, hopefully you've got a good governance process uh, so that security has a chance to review and uh, be aware of, of any endpoint before it's uh, exposed. But I think what we see all, you know, all too often is that governance breaks down and, and an API gets published uh, that security may not be aware of, and that SOC may not be tracking that. Uh, so that's kind of the first gap that we, we try to help people close is visibility into APIs and then prioritization of those APIs. Is there uh, an API that service that we see sensitive data traversing uh, as opposed to maybe a, a lower risk API where we don't see sensitive data being exposed? So all of those things uh, would help the, the SOC with that first challenge, which is visibility and awareness of those API endpoints. And the implication there is, as you implied earlier, that the security measures are shifting to the left higher in the development or sooner rather in the development chain because the containers have to carry their own security provisions. And so when you're developing them, that's when you build them in and then you make sure people understand that they exist. Exactly. That's the name of the game. Yep. Uh, I think shifting left, uh, as you said, to, to have a chance to keep up with the pace of, of development, you know, I would say also, um, you know, more consolidation of control. So I think what we see now is the rise of what's known as the WAAP, the, the web app and API protection platforms that give you a comprehensive uh, set of controls there on that API perimeter, uh, not just from DOS and OWASP attacks, but potentially from the threat of bots uh, that are, you know, making up more and more of the, the requests that we see out there uh, on the internet. And does this lessen then the need to worry about, say, a particular threat vector, uh, for example, phishing attacks, and you have vulnerabilities that are opened up from inside the organization, when you have less of a perimeter, hard model, soft inside of the old days, and more of security going with each microservice, then that seems to lessen the importance of worrying about vectors. Yeah, so so I think we would say, you know, you, you certainly want to mitigate as much of that risk as you can of phishing or that initial access 
but but I think that risk is uh, it, it, at best there's sort of an asymptote uh, approaching zero. You'll never drive that down to zero. So you do your best effort, do the best you can, uh, but you'll never get it all the way down to zero. But but then the assumption is even in that unlikely event where there is that initial access, that doesn't have to be devastating. Doesn't have to be catastrophic. I, I think the classic. Uh, model that people use for microsegmentation is the cross section of a submarine or a ship. Uh, you, you know, you design the hull to be as robust as possible, and and you hope and pray that you do everything you can to prevent uh, anything compromising that. But if you look at naval design, there's always uh, compartmentization beyond that, so that even in that worst case scenario where there's a compromise of the hull, it doesn't have to be catastrophic. You can restrict um, the 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 exposure to a limited area of that uh, of the vessel. So same model, uh, you want to have that, that segmentation as fine as possible so that even when you do have that, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I think inevitable uh, initial compromise, it doesn't have to then be a, a catastrophic event for you. Well, let's bring this all around then to what Akamai actually offers to enable people to have this level of security, this distributed security, this container-based and API looking type of uh, setup. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for us, you, you know, we're we're sort of leaders in the that that WAAP protecting the web app and API uh, attack surface to prevent that initial attack. Uh, and we're also fortunate to be leaders in the uh, newly emerging zero trust segmentation space, uh, shifting that east-west protection uh, to to more of that software-based model uh, where it can be done in a more programmatic and, and you know, ultimately that zero trust model where you understand the context of communication patterns between your workloads and restrict traffic only to, uh, you know, explicitly required communication paths as opposed to the classic implicitly trusted because you're on a corporate network um, type of a model. And is there a so-called pane of glass by which someone can see all of this? Where does that live and who should be looking at it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, to your point about shifting uh, left, certainly we would have dashboards where you could see all of these things, what's happening with your, uh, you know, your your API and your web attack surface, what's, what's going on with uh, visualizing the dependencies of these applications. We also certainly want to integrate with, um, you know, SOAR platforms, SIM platforms, so that you can see that uh, alongside other things. But I think to your point about visibility for the, the east-west, that micro-segmentation, the visibility is is a key. I, I think few organizations that, that haven't embarked on sort of a zero-trust project have uh, really the level of visibility into what is calling what within the organization. It's pretty common for us to kind of move through a, a zero trust segmentation project and end up with a 90 something uh, percent reduction in uh, lateral movement attack surface, you know, by restricting those communication paths down to uh, only the uh, the explicitly required paths, you know, tremendous reduction in attack surface. Uh, and then one of the tools that we do offer for somebody to get their uh, their head around, you know, what, what their risk level may be, uh, we have a tool called the Infection Monkey. Uh, so you can use that as sort of an attack simulation. It's it's on GitHub. Uh, you can download that, and and it's basically has a benign payload. But you could use that to to basically simulate an attacker gaining a foothold on a particular point within your infrastructure. You deploy the monkey uh, or multiple monkeys and see where all can get uh, within the organization to give you a, a sense for you know what is uh, what is the risk should somebody you know work their way to have a privileged point inside of our. Uh, our corporate network. So that's available open source uh, if somebody wanted to take a look at that. 
So you can be your own black hat and white hat or good guys, bad guys type of thing, right? Within your own organization. For sure. Yeah. And, and if you have a, you know, a red team, you know, they could make use of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of simulate, uh, you know, some of the steps that, that somebody would take uh, and, and give a, you know, a sense for what that risk would be, you know, should somebody gain that uh, initial, initial access uh, through one of the ways that, that people do so. All right. Well, a very good overview of the modern approach to cybersecurity. Let's thank today's guest, Patrick Sullivan. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Security Strategy at Akamai. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. And I'm Tom Tem, and you're listening to Federal News Network. Let's go back to the studio now for more on the Industry Exchange Cloud. <laughs> 